This is the Emergency Medical Minute. Real, raw, relevant emergency medical education. Please enjoy the show. All right. Good evening, everybody. How's it going? Gonna stay awake? This is like way past my bedtime, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and stay awake, so. Um, all right. Well, I'm gonna give you a lot of data and I'm gonna try and clear up a lot of misinformation I think that people have about what's the impact of both medical marijuana and the legalized recreational marijuana. And um, we're just gonna fly through it so we can get to the questions uh, and answers, and it's kind of a potpourri. And um, I always start with taxes. You know, when, when you legalize marijuana, everybody talks about, oh, now we have to pay taxes and there's all this tax revenue being generated. So this is like a, a way to bail states out or, or municipalities out so they can make a lot of money. So last year, uh, we took in about $150 million in um, taxes from all types of um, medical and recreational marijuana. And do you know what the overall... Uh, state budget is, like how much our overall state budget revenue is? Anybody? It's about $30 billion. So, you know, 130, uh, $150 million is a lot of money, but it's not driving the state economy. So I just want to make sure we put that in perspective and say, this is not about the money, uh, it's about other things. Having said that, and I know you can't see this slide, but the takeaway on this slide is that the money gets spent on a lot of things. And we're very fortunate because um, in public health, we get to take tax money and use that to do things like surveillance and tracking and education. And I'll show you some examples of, of how we've used that money to really help us understand what's going on as a result of legalizing marijuana. There's also way over here on the left, $40 million that goes into school construction. And again, we have a couple of billion dollars worth of projects that are in the queue so 40 million doesn't go very far. Um, so again, this isn't really a windfall for schools necessarily, even though they get the first $40 million that comes off the taxes. Um, we do have an advisory committee. Um, so if you want more and you guys stay up later than I do, when you go home tonight, you can go to CDPHE's website and you can see that um, uh, under marijuana, we actually have an advisory committee that puts together um, an analysis of all the research that's been done to try and help people understand, well, does using marijuana lower my IQ? Is marijuana good or bad for pregnancy? Will marijuana increase my risk of having a heart attack? All of these different health-related questions. We have a committee that put together a pretty extensive compendium, and you can go online and you can take a look. And like a lot of things in medicine, it's not black or white. What the group tried to do is to basically say, is there substantial evidence to support marijuana is effective for this? Is it moderate? Is it limited? Is it insufficient? Or is it mixed? And you can see it's sort of broken down by all these different categories. So I only bring this up as a reminder that, again, if you want more, please go to our website and take a look at this compendium because it looks at pretty much any clinical condition you can think of and we try to make a judgment about whether or not there's a lot of research to support that information, or is it a mixed bag, or is it insufficient? Um, 
The other thing is, uh, as I said, we do a lot of surveillance and we break it down by age. We're concerned about different things based on different ages of the populations. So as you can imagine, for young children, we're um, concerned about accidental ingestion or poisoning. And so we have a, a number of different monitoring um, projects uh, that we're doing as it relates to young children. Uh, youth, uh, we're worried about that, but we're also worried about accidents. We're also worried about uh, the potential for abuse. As we get into adults, the same thing. And then a special category for pregnant women or nursing mothers, which I'll tell you about here in a second. So let's get into the data, and these are gonna fly pretty quickly. Um, the one comment I'll make, and I appreciate the stigma um, uh, issues and, and can empathize with it, because when a lot of people think about legalization of marijuana, they think that we're starting from zero that nobody's ever used marijuana, and all of a sudden, now we're gonna legalize it, and now we're gonna have all these people start to use marijuana because it's legal. When in fact, you know, about one in four adults uh, and one in five youth were using marijuana prior to legalization. So this looks at adult use, both in Colorado and the US. And again, if you look at the real impact of legalization was about 2014, we've, no, we've not seen any increase in adult use of marijuana since legalization. I always like to tell people too, and you guys are all in healthcare, so you, you know this, you know, go back and look at trends that start even prior to legalization. Let's look at the long-term trends and see if there was something happening well before legalization so that people don't blame legalization if they're looking for an effect just in the past couple of years. So um, again, you can see that there's been no significant increase um, on the top line, this blue line down here is something called the NUSDA, which is the National Survey of Drug Use, and I can't remember what the H stands for. But a lot of times you'll hear conservatives and law enforcement talk about how um, youth and adult use has increased as a result of using that data set. That data set is based on a random survey of 350 people in the state of Colorado whereas our Healthy Kids Colorado and our Behavioral Risk Factor Survey amongst adults is based on surveying tens of thousands of people. So we feel like we have a much stronger data set when we make the statement that there hasn't been an increase in adult use. Um, marijuana and pregnancy, there's a lot of attention um, being paid to whether or not this is safe or not. Intuitively, we're taking that pr protective theorem, in, um, uh, which is basically saying that for the baby, uh, if marijuana um, has an affinity or THC has an affinity for fat cells, then we don't recommend that marijuana or THC be used during pregnancy or during nursing. How big a problem or issue is this? Well, the majority of women who say that they use um, are using really before pregnancy, uh, and then it falls off and, and almost half stop using during pregnancy and then many um, uh, will stop and only about four and a half percent are using uh, while they're breastfeeding. So if we're gonna target something, we really wanna try and target it before, um, before pregnancy. And just to put it in perspective, I like to put things in perspective too. Um, the, the number or the percentage of women who actually drink alcohol during pregnancy uh, is twice as high as those that use marijuana and it's about equivalent to what the tobacco use rate is. So this is what I was telling you about the youth use rates. Again, no increase in youth use as a result uh, or since legalization. 
Um, and in fact, substance use rates um, for tobacco are still quite a bit higher, uh, have been coming down, and again, no statistical increase in marijuana use, um, and tobacco's been coming down as well, although we're going to start to see that start to creep back up as a result of the trend we're now observing uh, with vaping and um, e-cigarette products amongst youth. Um, from a health standpoint, this is uh, one of the more concerning things for us, which is that the majority of youth who do use, the overwhelming majority of youth who do use, are still smoking marijuana. So if there are risks related to smoking, um, then this is a target for us from a health standpoint, not so much from the marijuana itself, but from the other junk that's actually getting inhaled uh, as part of the smoking process. And again, we expect to see that the vaping number will start to creep up here, but at least through 2015, we haven't seen an increase in edibles or vape products amongst youth. Um, the other misnomer is that there's a lot more kids getting kicked out of school or getting caught in school, so offenses for marijuana use must be up. And in fact, in 2015, they were up slightly in 2014, but then they dropped uh, to even lower than pre-legalization times uh, when you look at elementary and secondary school. College and university offenses are up a little bit, but again, as it relates to elementary and secondary school offenses, those are actually down. Uh, ER admissions, uh, that's uh, where all of you come in. Um, you can see that marijuana-related uh, emergency room admissions have gone up. They've actually leveled off um, this particular year, uh, but, uh, and still obviously well below admissions um, related to alcohol but above those are related to stimulants uh, and opioids. Um, hospitalizations also saw a spike, and there's, there's a lot of explanations for this. Uh, we heard about stigma. People are uh, more forthcoming with information. We've changed some of our billing and coding and diagnostic systems, so uh, that could account for some of this. But this is still a real statistic. There are still more people coming into emergency rooms and getting admitted to hospitals as a result of marijuana. But this is the, the major driving force of that, which is the out-of-state residents. When you look at the Colorado residents, it actually only is a, a modest um, increase, but these out-of-state residents who are coming in and the uh, um, Vans to Vail and others that are making these stops and people are saying, let me try some of these edibles, I don't feel anything, let me try some more, let me try some more, then they end up uh, seeing all of you in the emergency room. So. Uh, doing quite a bit more to try and target our education to folks uh, who are coming in from out of state. Poison control was another big issue initially. Um, you know, you can report this, that this was almost a 100% increase in calls to poison control related to marijuana. Uh, and that's true, but that means we went from 100 calls in 2012-13 to 200 calls in 2015 still far, far, far below the thousands related to alcohol. So yes, a concerning increase, which has since leveled off, by the way, but nowhere near the number of calls as it relates to alcohol, and, and not an epidemic uh, by any stretch of the imagination. <coughs> um, and when you break down those calls that do come in, it's the edible products um, that uh, are equally as high as the smokable products. Um, when you look at that. Um, I think this is interesting. People say, well, since legalization, we have a lot more people um, that are getting pulled over for DUIs. <clears throat> and so the first thing I like to point out is that 
you know, overall, you know, with alcohol as well as with marijuana, these numbers are still relatively flat. And in fact, overall, when you look at all reasons for DUIs, um, there's actually been a little bit of a decrease over time. Um, treatment admission rates, so folks who come in for treatment, um, regardless of age, uh, there's been either a flattening or a decrease uh, reporting marijuana as their primary drug of abuse. So again, marijuana is not driving more people to actually come in and have to get treatment. Uh, this is just the stat I was saying before about how DUIs have either flattened or even decreased uh, over the year. Um, this is one that's actually um, open to misinterpretation quite a bit. Um, you can see that actually the number of uh, cannabinoid-positive drivers has continued to increase in traffic accidents resulting in fatalities. And the issue here is that, um, you know, um, um, a positive blood test for cannabinoid is not necessarily a marker for impairment. So you could have used marijuana a week ago, um, a day ago, an hour ago. Uh, it will show up in your bloodstream, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're impaired. So we certainly have more people involved in fatalities, whether it's drivers or victims, um, who have um, cannabinoids uh, in their system, but we don't yet really understand whether or not um, those drivers involved in those um, accidents um, were actually impaired. So more work needs to be done in this particular area. Um, we're responsible for the statewide education campaign, the Good to Know campaign. Uh, for those of you with a memory that goes back uh, more than about four years, we first started with a campaign that we inherited, uh, which was the Don't Be a Lab Rat campaign. I don't know if you remember that. We had life-size rat cages that we put on the streets so that people you know, wouldn't um, uh, experiment like uh, a lab rat would uh, with marijuana without knowing all the facts. And so there was no better way to alienate people who use marijuana than to set up these life-size cages uh, all over um, the streets, uh, not to mention that kids would go into them, light up, take selfies, you know, because these are like cool places to do that sort of thing. So we kind of scrapped that whole idea because if we're going to try and educate people about the good and the bad and what we need to do from a public health standpoint as it relates to marijuana, we had to find a way to engage people uh, who are the most likely users. So we have a much different type of campaign, um, the Good to Know campaign. Um, with kids, kids didn't want to hear from doctors and healthcare professionals like all of us that marijuana can impact uh, the developing brain. They wanted to hear more about how it might affect their future. So how we educate kids is we say, protect what's next. And so marijuana may get in the way of their being able to drive or uh, getting a job or graduating from school. Um, and so there's been a whole campaign developed around kids that's actually got um, very good uh, preliminary data thus far uh, as to how kids are, are viewing um, the information and potentially using it to help uh, decide, um, help them decide uh, what they want to do as it relates to marijuana. So I'd encourage you to take a look um, because it's quite a bit different what kids respond to versus what adults will respond to as far as education goes. So I'll just close uh, with a couple of stats about medical marijuana. You know, medical marijuana has been in effect here in the state for more than 15 years. And a lot of people thought that when we had legalized recreational marijuana, 
that nobody would do medical marijuana anymore because now it's legalized. I don't have to go to the doctor. I don't have to get a recommendation. I could just go to a shop. And for a lot of reasons, uh, we have seen um, a continued uh, 100,000 plus people maintained on our medical marijuana registry. Not the least of which, it's about 30% cheaper because uh, medical marijuana is not subject to the majority of the excise taxes that the recreational marijuana um, is subjected to. Um, the other thing about medical is um, you can possess more um, and a lot of folks with medical conditions um, uh, will say that they require more to treat those conditions. Uh, but when you break it down, these are the accepted um, positions that we have to date. Uh, although most recently now we've added post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, these are what are uh, considered um, debilita or Let's see, I, I mix it up. There's uh, disabling conditions and debilitating conditions. And so now we have two separate tracks. PTSD is now in under this disabling condition track so that the legislature can decide if there are additional disabling conditions down the road. Um, this is what was in the state constitution. This wasn't developed from the New England Journal of Medicine or anything else. It was by the voters who put this in the state constitution. But you could see the overwhelming majority still are for severe pain. Um, again, no real drop-off since we had legalization of recreational marijuana. And then minors, a lot of people, you know, were concerned that uh, we were a haven uh, for kids from other states or families with kids from other states uh, to get that high CBD oil, that Charlotte's Web, to treat the complex seizure disorders. And that's really only been anywhere between three and 400 kids per year, both in-state and out-of-state, um, that take advantage of that program. So that's it, and happy to take any questions on this or anything else. <laughs>